and welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, and you know him to be Steve, and Microsoft has some awfully deep pockets in episode 258 today, January 20th, 2022. We are going to be catching up with each other as we have not done so in a while before going right into our topic of the day, which is the... Activision Blizzard acquisition by none other than Microsoft slash Xbox, which you can fast forward to if you look at the detailed timestamps located in the detailed section below. Steve, hmm, before we get started, make sure you acquire that subscribe button. Maybe, I don't know, merge that notification bell with your finger. That way, or maybe cursor, better yet. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm, which drops once a week, every week. As I was saying, Steve. Russ, I'm already subscribed. Well, good man. (laughs) Good man, Steve. (laughs) I did that well before Uh, I got here. I'm I'm very happy. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm pleased as punch. Spiked punch? (laughs) Jungle juice punch, Russ? <laughs> I'm always just a fan of the tropical punch. <laughs> hey, you doing there, Steve? Uh, it's been a long day. Been a long day, huh? Been a long day, Russ. Mm. Been a long day. Glad to be over. Mm-hmm. Glad we're facing the weekend. You know, facing the weekend is always fun to face. Mm. But um, if you remember couple podcasts ago mm. we were talking about our top five games of the year 2021 russ i do in fact remember that particular episode it was not too long ago actually mm. not too long ago, why are you bringing this up steve i'm bringing it up because i said i was gonna start playing a little something something ah well and i've started resident evil 7 nice. I noticed that. I have been on <sighs> Xbox Live, and when I have taken a looky look at what Steve, a.k.a. Esteban, is up oh, to, man. I noticed that. Uh, I'm I'm actually really excited for you. I can't say it's as good as Village. It's scarier. I will say that. I was going to say, it looks like it's a bit more just... Not as fantastical horror, but more like realistic, like you could see this happening kind of horror. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, like in the beginning of the game, before you even start, yeah. it's like, it says, if you get too stressed out, you can take a break. Like it's, you know, no harm, no foul. They actually thing. have like a warning in the beginning. Yes. I'm like, huh, why does it say that? I mean, I know it's Resident <laughs> Evil and it could be like, you know, kind of frightening, but we'll see. Maybe there's just like a little legality thing this time around. Who knows? And it's different, like, you know, they're always a bit suspenseful and thrilling and scary and whatnot, but it's a little bit more so on this one. Yeah. Um, I think because nothing is happening and then all of a sudden everything is happening. Uh-huh. Um, versus, like, in Village, it's almost like the first Resident Evil, because you can hear these, you know, creatures slothing towards you down the hall kind of thing. So you can kind of be like, oh, great, here we go. You know, get your guns ready sort of thing. This one's more like I'm walking through the hall and I'm being careful. 
and there's no enemies <laughs> around. And then like, blah, you know, out of the wall from nowhere, somebody comes through with a chainsaw. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for waking you up, honey. You know, uh, <laughs> I need a new pair of shorts. <laughs> So, I mean, it is pretty terrifying. Uh, it looks like it's more claustrophobic than Resident Evil Village. Like Village, uh, you had yes. like those those much more open spaces that you, I don't know, could have more free movement, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're confined to this house. And sometimes you're like, you're really trying to, like you're trying to escape and you're getting underneath the house or kind of going through like some panels or something. And so in Resident Evil Village, you're just kind of out in the open. So yeah, definitely more claustrophobic sure. in this. So anyway- not to mention the fact that that house could use like a really deep cleaning, spring deep cleaning makeover. You know, I feel like if it was a happy house, it wouldn't be nearly as a on the edge of your seat nail biter. Russ placed us needs to be demolished. Yes. Start from scratch. Don't worry about cleaning it up. Just start from scratch. So how far are you in the game, do you think? I would say I'm about, about halfway through. Okay. Getting close to halfway through. I've only faced like one family member so far. And I don't know if you face all of them. Oh, surely you do. I mean, surely like you maybe. You, okay. Let me, let me ask you this question. The family member that you've come across, is it like the son of the family? No. Or the dad or the dad. I have a feeling you're probably still toward the beginning. Cause like, I mean the, for them to have all those different characters, you know you're going to run into them at some point. I don't know. I mean, I figured you would, but it, it's been drawn out. I mean, you're kind of, you, like I said, been saying you're you're confined to this house. It's not like it's some expansive like property. Yeah. It's just this small, relatively small kind of house. No castle, no village, yeah. you know. Um, but I mean, <laughs> I for- the village. <laughs> for, for one- one villain, I, I would say, this is taking a long time. It's almost like the tyrant. Like he's there and then he's not there. And mm. then you like, you kind of sort of hurt him pretty bad. And then he goes away and licks his wounds and then comes back for more. And you're like, man, is this guy never going to die? Okay. So you, you've faced him multiple times, right? Okay. I was under the impression you had seen him one time and you bested him. And then you're like, yeah, I think I'm like halfway done with the game. Yeah. No, like, he keeps on coming back and coming back. Like, where's he going to die? <laughs> There's this one scene where um, you're in this room, kind of like in the basement of all basements. The basement and of all basements, it's yes. Like, it's like an incinerary room sort of thing. And Why are they always incinerary rooms? I know exactly the, the aesthetic you're describing. Because it's creepy. Yes. And so one of them is locked. Of course, something's in there, but you figure out how to unlock the lock and the thing kind of goes and breaks open a little sure. bit. And I'm telling you, like, this game was not made for the Series X. It's made for Xbox. It came out a while ago. One, yeah, maybe 1X enhanced. But I'm telling you, like, like the, the steam or the smoke or, or, like, the moldy air or whatever that comes out of this thing, it's, like, really well done. Yeah. It looks like someone just kind of held a fog machine and all this stuff. It's that good. I mean, it looked great. Yeah. But um, anyhow, we can only play, like, an hour and then we're pretty much done. Like, I'm like, I got to go outside. I got to play something else. I got to go get a drink. Yeah. yeah, man. Have you ever had another game have that effect on you? Um, not to that level. Okay. Not to that extent. Um, I just feel like stressed when I'm playing it. 
Yeah. The reason I ask is I, I remember playing Condemned. And that was by far one of the most scariest games I've ever played in my gaming career. And partly it was due to the fact that it was a much more realistic setting. And it had kind of these, these fantastical elements because the main character would hallucinate. So you have kind of a supernatural-ish uh, side to things uh, somewhat, which obviously enhanced the scary factor and creepy factor. And I, too... Uh, could only play that game for about an hour at a time. And then I had to deliberately like go turn on some Looney Tunes or something and like, <laughs> like just try to and, watch like, the Care Bears. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> I had to purge myself uh, be- just because I was, I was so creeped out. I remember I was, I think I was living in Seattle at the time. And well, you know, of course I'm playing the game at night. So then, you know, I'm done. I'm just like, okay. I need to go to my happy place now before I go to sleep. Um, and it's a testament. I think it was monolith that made condemned, but my goodness, like to give you an idea. So I beat the first condemned game and I bought the, the sequel that came out. I only got so far and I'm just like, dude, I can't finish it. I cannot finish it. Like I'm, I'm too creeped out and scared to like, finish. like they've done too good of a job. And I'm squeamish now. Yeah. So it's yeah, like, I can just see it. Like your roommates are like, why is Russ vomiting this time every <laughs> night? He plays that game and then he goes and pukes. Yeah. Why is that? Why does Russ keep washing his whites? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. No. Nasty. Very, uh, very creepy. But man, really, really great game. I remember the boss fight, the last boss fight in that thing. Woo. That was some epic horror survival goodness right there, as far as I'm concerned. But I did start New Game Plus also on Village. Oh, I'm happy to say. Nice. I mean, I have to start it again I, since I have my Series X. Um, man, it's so beautiful, too. It's totally different than It is, around. isn't it? Oh, man. I just want to, like, <laughs> upgrade every weapon. I have, like, the little, like, the shoulder pistol sort of thing. And that's just enough. I mean, I can upgrade that and I'm taking out the lichens like no problem. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for the sake of time, I've just watched one one movie, Russ. Uh-huh. Only one. Only I watched one. The uh, Last Duel. The we last saw the duel. preview of that in the, uh, in the theaters. That's with uh, Adam Driver. And it's with uh, actually Ben Affleck's in it. Oh, yeah. You, you watched that. It's that- on HBO Max. Okay. I was not. Thank you, HBO Max. I was not aware that it was already on HBO Max. It is there. So what did you think? Um, it's a, a slow burner of a movie. I mean, it's it's not going to be like a, so much of a historical piece as it is more like telling a story from three different ways, from like three different viewpoints. Like this is the way I saw it. This is the way he saw it. This is the oh, way okay. a third person saw it. Yeah. And it's interesting that way, but it's, I, I mean, it, it's a, a bit of a slow movie. Great acting though. I mean- well, Ben Affleck's in it too, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I'm Matt not Damon, really, Ben Affleck, yeah. Adam Driver. I mean, and I'm not a big fan of uh, of Affleck, but I mean, he, he he did well in this one, and that's right well on. scripted. So, anyhow, hmm. what have you been up to? I've been looking forward to actually telling you a bit more. I can't remember if I I think I mentioned this to you, but you um, didn't, Russ. I didn't. No. Are you sure? Yes. Well, call him psychics. I haven't even said anything yet. <laughs> um, did I mention to you about our trip over to the AT&T Discovery District? Well, Russ, 
you didn't, but your Facebook did. Mm. Stalking me again, eh? <laughs> ah, trolling is my middle name. Just the way I like it. <laughs> so, okay, well, I'm glad that I haven't actually like gone into detail talking about this, but what was really neat was, so in Dallas, they have um, this really cool area that's not limited to just this one building. That's this this whole plaza area that uh, we had never been to before. Well, anyway, at t has a building um, within this Discovery District that um, really has an emphasis on art. And, and they are constantly swapping the different types of galleries that they have, the different collections, that sort of thing. And it really depends on who they want to feature. Um, I think a lot of times it, it is more modern art type of uh, content that they have there. But what was really cool was that early, earlier, um, I would say, well, to be more <laughs> precise with my words, late last year, how about that? Around October, they had announced that they were going to be doing a Jim Lee exhibit. And it was super, I mean, I saw that and I don't even remember like how I came across it. I don't know if my wife saw it first or if I happened to see it or whatever. Anyway, I think I saw it first. Mm. I was blown away. I could not believe it. And subsequently, right around that time, Jim Lee himself also announced on like his Instagram, for instance, as well as other social media that he was recently in Dallas to actually check out the whole setup for himself before the place went live with uh, his work. And so he, he did a kind of a, like a quick little promotional video for it and that sort of thing. So that's, I think that's how I found out first. And then I looked into like what the AT&T Discovery District was because I was like, man, I've, I've never really heard about this. This is, this is uh, interesting. So anyway, we were unable to go during that particular period because they, they were showing it from like the beginning. I want to say this is kind of rough, but like beginning of October to like sometime in November, something like that. Well, we end up not being able to go because we're too busy with with life, with everything else that's going on. And I was really bummed because I was like, "Oh no, like they they're not they're not showing anymore. They've moved on to another collection or whatever." And it just so happened that um my wife ended up contacting them and just saying, "Oh, we would love to be able to see that. Is there any chance that you'll bring it back whatever?" And it just so happens that they decided to bring back, I think they were getting requests from multiple folks or something, but they decided to bring it back um, this year at the beginning of the year. So like in, it's going from, um, I think they started it in at the beginning of January and it goes to about like January 20th or 23rd. I mean, it's, what, what is the, today is the 20th. I don't know if today's the last day or if maybe there's a few more days remaining, mm. but anyway, that was super cool because then all of a sudden we're like, wow, this is like a second chance to go check it out. So we made a, a family day of it. I, we, you know, we, we took our, our daughter with us because I feel like with her being seven years old, she's like at the perfect age to really start to introduce her to some of this like really awesome comic book art. And she loved it. And it was fantastic because you get there. It's totally free. You walk in. And what they've done is they have these huge screens, like the, these screens cover um, entire walls of this commercial building. And they also have these very um, large columns that, you know, like, like if, if you walk into any kind of given corporation or, or corporate building, whatever, sure. 
you see those huge columns of something like that. Well, they outfitted each one of them with these screens that go from top to bottom. Mm. And not only do they use this for the Jim Lee um, exhibit, but also like for other types of art as well. Like it's just kind of part of their, it's like, like their merging of art and technology, which is a, it's a really fun idea. Anyway, the concept was that you got to watch all of these Jim Lee sketches start from the beginning. Ah. And then you saw all these pencil strokes and sketch marks and everything else go through and do their thing. And he did all kinds of DC characters. I mean, he, you saw him drawing Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman and the Flash and... Um, a <laughs> black mantis and like uh cyborg and supergirl um dark side you saw black adam and uh, i mean the, um and shazam shazam was there as well harley quinn joker i mean like he went down this huge list and it was fantastic because they actually had the real estate they had lex luther up there that catwoman up there and it was the it was just the coolest thing because you see him do his pencil work and it's very gradual. It's not like this instant thing like, boink, oh, there's his drawing. Yeah. Like he's going to draw it. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, there it is. Like, Man, now, that was quick. <laughs> now get out. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that at all. I paid $65 a piece. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what was super cool was that like you saw him do all this gesture work first and then you start seeing these more refined lines going over his rough gesture line work. And then after that, you saw the inking process like Scott Williams has, has always been his, his main inker for uh, the longest time. I want to say they started working together right around 1992. And, and then once the inking process is done, then they, then they sh start showing the color process. So like all, all the, the accurate colors that, you know, we've all come to, to know and love with um, the work of Jim Lee you see that start to appear and it's very organic how it's going through all this stuff. And then the final finishing touch with it is they actually incorporated some subtle motion graphics to it. So it helps to bring whatever the, the image is more to life. So like, like Aquaman, for instance, he was riding like this huge seahorse thing that like <laughs> that Jim Lee was, uh, um, putting together and it's so funny. Cause like, if there's anyone who can make like a really awesome, badass looking seahorse, that would be Jim Lee <laughs> seahorse on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was cool because you'd see like bubbles around and you see a school of fish kind of going by and, and there'd be parts of him and the seahorse and stuff that would be like subtly moving and stuff. So, I mean, the whole thing was so fun. I left feeling extremely inspired by the, this idea that you could surround yourself with his art, like everywhere you turn, because the way that, that all of it is laid out you can turn 360 degrees and you're going to see another one of his pieces of art. And they were all sequentially at different parts of completion. So it was cool. Cause like, you, you know, you'd want to go over and you'd want to see like, Oh, like what, what, uh, you know, progress has cyborg made. And you're like watching it for a while and you're seeing stuff going you're like, that is so cool. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I wonder what the flash looks like now. And you go over there and then there's, it's at a different level of completion and stuff. And, it was, it was the coolest thing. They also had some great music that was playing subtly. And um, you, you really got immersed in the work of Jim Lee. And I, I just, I feel really fortunate that we live in such a time now where we have this level of accessibility through technology where you can go. And I, I mean, I've seen Jim Lee in person do sketches and that sort sure. of thing. But this is a completely different format and, and medium that I think is super cool. And honestly, it got me thinking about other types of 
really renowned artists, even from mm-hmm. the artists in the past, where how cool would it be if there was some way where like if you could accurately know how one of them actually did their art and, and just show the process. And obviously like, we don't know like what Michelangelo, like what his process was back in the day or Leonardo da Vinci or anything like that. But I am thinking about like how we do have the ability with certain artists who are, who are alive today and maybe some that were um, alive not too long ago that like, yeah, we can look at old videos or old film or whatever and see like how they do their, like Bob Ross. Think about that. You know, like being able to see that. And what I'm getting at is I think that it adds a certain level of value to be able to have a, a time capsule like that, that the masses can enjoy for generations to come where it's not like, oh, we had this particular artist who was phenomenal and changed the way people think about art and that sort of thing and being creative. And now he's gone or she's gone and there's no way to know like what, they did or how they did their, their stuff. Like, I really feel like this should be something that is more aggressively pursued. Did it, uh, encourage you, motivate you to draw anything? Ah, it does. Um, unfortunately I'm really, I just have so much like responsibility right now. I'm really busy, which I know is a Mm. lame excuse, but yes, to answer your question, Ah, um, No, it, it was very much um, just, it, it got you in the frame of mind. Of like, man, I just, I totally want to grab a, pen, a piece of paper and a pencil and start to draw. But it's one of those situations too, where like you quickly remember that you're not Jim Lee. <laughs> so you're drawing and you're like, this doesn't look as cool as what he just did. <laughs> you just start tracing out his picture. Yeah, I could do it. Muscles, eyes, <laughs> veins. Here it is. Exactly. Well, show me the money. It's time for the topic of the day. Topic of the day is one that I am quite impressed with, maybe even a little excited about, which is the Activision Blizzard. Well, maybe I should back it up and say the Xbox merger, Xbox acquisition of Activision and Blizzard. That rolls off the tongue a little more naturally. There you go, Russ. Have you ever thought about where all your money's going with Game Pass and Xbox Live? Now you have your answer. Indeed. Indeed. This particular story came out of nowhere. I believe it was dropped on Tuesday of earlier this week. And I actually woke up to our good old friend, Brad, who actually texted me a screen grab from the, uh, the Twitter account of Xbox. I believe. Right. Yes. Yeah. And let me tell you, I didn't need coffee after that. No, I, yeah? I, I, I just lurched out of bed. I was like, what? So I still needed coffee that morning. I was notified through Yahoo uh, Finance. I thought I was the one who first notified you of it. Negative, Russ. You sent me something on Discord. I saw it and thought, 
right, who's going to say something about this today? <laughs> and then I just continued on my day. Uh-huh. And I adhered to the Discord calendar about said topics of the day. Sure. Z-z-z-z. And so then you said, oh, we're going to talk about this. I sent you something. Mm. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, <laughs> change it up a bit. Okay. I see. Yeah, I see. Well, anyway, this is a ginormous story. This is something that, um, oh man, I, I'm, I've been looking forward into getting down into the details uh, with you mm. and, you know, with all of you. Yeah. Yeah. So first things first, the number on this is a bit high. Wow. Like if you think about when Xbox um, acquired Bethesda, hmm. They, I think it was that they acquired them for about $7.5 billion, yeah, which again, that is a ton of money. That's not like oh, dropping the bucket, you know? Well, considering that like Disney bought Marvel for kind of around the same amount of money and Pixar you know, earlier on for, I think a little bit less money. I mean, if you compare the two, yes, there's been some inflation since then, but <laughs> golly, I mean, the numbers are huge. It really is. And I mean, if you, well, well, Disney, for instance, like they acquired Lucasfilm for $4 billion, uh-huh. which again, like that is cray cray, a ton of money. So like, yeah, um, in this case, you know, for, for those who um, don't know, they acquired Activision Blizzard for 68 0.7 billion dollars almost 70 billion dollars that just i mean it blows my mind like like that is such a huge purchase and we've gotten into this this kind of trend lately when we think about it. i mean we've already talked about disney but like we've gotten into this trend where there are these behemoth corporations, just, just these huge companies that have been pretty aggressive in acquiring various other companies. And that's not to say that like, like they were going for any of these little boutique type of businesses or whatever. I mean, they're going for other big companies. I mean, like if you think about like Lucasfilm, for example, I mean, you have Skywalker Sound, you have Lucasfilm, you have Industrial Light and Magic, you have LucasArts, which is now, I think, Lucas Games or something like Skywalker Games. I can't remember what they, they renamed it to. But, um, you know, you have all these multiple entities that work you know, predominantly in film. But not only that, they also have various IPs like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and um, a couple other smaller ones. But, like... It's insane to think about how like they just gobbled that up. They're like, yeah, we'll we'll take that. We'll we'll merge it with us. And the same thing, you know, Marvel's not. I don't I don't consider Marvel necessarily as large as Lucasfilm. You know, Marvel has had its ups and downs. Marvel has become a big sensation in terms sure. of the movies of things. But I mean, let's not forget, Marvel almost went bankrupt in the nineties. So they've had kind of like this, this turbulent journey. But I mean, again, like as the, the movies were going forward and that sort of thing, um, it, they became much more profitable to this day. What I think is insane, though, is like, I, again, I don't know if you, if you also heard the news, but Take-Two Interactive also recently acquired Zynga. Right. And that was for, I, I want to say it was in the ballpark of like $11 billion yeah, or something like or that. Something, yeah, 11 or 12 so anyway, it's it it really does boggle the mind in terms of 
like how much these these companies are evaluated or valued at. Um, and then not only that, but you have companies that are willing to actually like fork down this cold, hard cash. I mean, that uh, my dollar bills, my understanding is <laughs> that Microsoft purchase was done in cash. They're just like, boom, <laughs> you can't pay it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Hold my brewski. Yeah. Cut Let me just reach into my pockets more. Bob, pull out your pockets. Okay. <laughs> Bob's like, what? <laughs> I was going to go on vacation. <laughs> yeah, no. Just outrageous. Out, I mean, here's the thing, though, is that they're going to get their money back at some point. Of course. It's going to be a while to recoup $68 billion. Well, and on that note... I mean, I, I I was doing some research and apparently Activision Blizzard made $8.1 billion in net revenue in 2020, uh-huh. which was a 25% increase from 2019, which saw a net revenue of $6.49 billion. So if you take that metric from 2020 of, um, you know, around $8 billion, they can have that money recouped in you know, within the next like 10 years or so. I mean, arguably, right? I would, yeah, I would say so. Plus, um, you got to think too, like some games like Warcraft and Starcraft. Right now, we can't really play those on Xbox. Right. And so, I mean... It, well, I mean, they're there. You can play... Like, are Di- they? Yeah, Diablo is available on Wait, Xbox. Diablo, right. Um, they, I want to say they did release Warcraft 3 or something like that. Like not World of Warcraft, I don't think. I'm a little hazy on that. But yeah, certain titles they have and others they have not. But anyway, continue. I was just going to say, so it's going to expand that to, to Xbox, not yeah. just, you know, PC, but uh, on Xbox. Did you read too that uh, Phil Spencer was saying like for like the near future with games such as uh, like Overwatch and whatnot, people are still going to be able to play them on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's part of the deal that if, if people will spend money in these games, even though it's on a different console, that that revenue is going to go into Microsoft. Yeah, that is one of the things that I do want to talk about uh, with regards to all of this. First of all, though, I have some speculation. Do tell. Well, if you recall, remember when I think it was it was either AT&T or Warner Brothers. I can't remember which one it was, but um, whoever the parent company was. Remember how they floated the idea of possibly selling off their gaming studios like Rocksteady and Monolith and like all these like the, these different studios. And so then all of a sudden, like you heard about how EA and I think maybe even Activision, definitely Microsoft was in was interested and they were starting to like bid for those those different studios and then as it was going on it was like i I can't remember if it like i said if it was like warner media or at&t or warner brothers i don't know but they ended they ended up like backing away from the table and they're like ah just kidding like we're gonna hold on to these these studios like it it was basically like a tease in order to find out like how much the gaming industry felt that their studios were worth to get like a real time valuation on their stuff with no intention of actually selling it. Remember that? I think that was AT&T selling like Warner Brothers Studios. 
or something like that. Well, uh, Warner, Warner Brothers games or something. Well, no, they were going to have all of them. So like, like, you know, WB Montreal, Rocksteady Studios, Monolith. I can't remember all the different studios that are under that umbrella, but you know, they are a publisher themselves right. and they were advertising that they wanted to like basically like, like, spin it off or offload it or whatever. And it just didn't happen. So this is where the speculation for me comes into play. I think what happened was, you know, those studios have some pretty sweet properties that they can um, definitely use for, you know, whichever one of of these uh, different publishers and, and companies. I think what happened was Phil Spencer, and I could totally be wrong, but I'm just going to say it. You can theorize, Russ. Yeah, this is speculation. This is a theory. Um, I think he got permission from his superiors to be able to have approval on a certain budget number in order to acquire. And then what happened was um, this whole thing all of a sudden got yanked off the table and they decided not to sell their, their studio and their IPs and stuff like that. And that left Phil with still this approved huge sum of money and I think it kind of like was burning a hole in his corporate pocket. If you know what I'm saying? $60 billion burning a (laughs) hole in my pocket. What am I going to do with it? I don't even know. Now, whether or not that's true or not, or maybe, maybe it wasn't 68 billion or 60 billion. Maybe it was, it was a smaller amount, (laughs) but just buy Lamborghinis for the entire staff. Let's do it. (laughs) The point though, is I think even if there wasn't like that large sum of money that was already pre-approved. And again, I'm speculating on this, but I think also psychologically speaking, he was in that mindset to buy. Like it was public knowledge. Like people were, were talking about it like on IGN and whatnot about how you had like EA and you had uh, Microsoft and, and a couple others also like just starting to get into this bidding war for it. So that was on his mind and he was already looking at, at some of these other companies, which is why like a short time later he ended up acquiring Bethesda. Which I was thinking like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's maybe that's like what he ended up doing was like the money he was going to spend on like the Warner companies. No, he's going to he's going to apply it to Bethesda. Well, I think that this whole thing has been a very long time coming. I think that it has been a perfect storm in terms of all of the headlines, you know, the negative press and stuff. Uh, that Activision and Blizzard have been oh, receiving sorry. lately and it's causing their stock to go down and that sort of thing. And they, and they're hemorrhaging talent. I mean, really like um, I, anytime I go on LinkedIn, I'm seeing person after person who have been with the, the company for a, a while and they're, they're moving on to other types of jobs and stuff. So you can tell like, like they're, they're just in this vulnerable state. And I think that everything just kind of worked really well. So what are your thoughts on this, dude? I think that uh, part of that is, is true. Here's what I think is that when Microsoft went into this whole dealy do within all the next gen systems and whatnot, the biggest opposition they received was kind of like our our friend Big Baby Moose was saying way back when before the systems were out, which was the biggest hurdle Microsoft is going to have is is content because the games are going to be on PlayStation. That's what Microsoft has been struggling with, right? So I don't think. We were the first, or Nick was the first one to say it. You know, I mean, I think that's a kind of a common thought maybe with the gaming community is we love our Xbox, but my goodness, Sony's got some freaking awesome games. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so, um, 
you can tell that some, that that Microsoft's putting all their money into making a good system, and now they need to get the content. It's not really so much about like like the console wars, more about the the content yeah. wars, really. And so it makes sense to me when um, they they're saying, okay, all of our games, you can play it on all of our systems. Matter of fact, you want to make it as easy as possible to do this. Matter of fact, we're going to look into acquiring more studios. Even on like the E3, um, he was Phil Spencer was saying about you know studios that they were acquiring. Yeah, was, that was almost a common theme. And so I think probably the stars kind of aligned a little bit with Blizzard Activision kind of losing their rudder with you know, upper management, upper leadership, really. Yeah. And with all the scandals and the you know whatever legal issues going on, I'm like, man, I think at some point they did become vulnerable, as you say. And um, it the thought did cross my mind of, man, either these companies are going to implode on each other or some bigger fish is going to just gobble them up. Mm-hmm. And I'm really thankful, actually, that it happened, really, yeah. because um, I, I was, it was really kind of running me ragged when I would hear people complain about, uh, you know, what's going on behind the scenes with, with Blizzard and Activision. Like, man, you have these people who love creating or drawing and making like this, this thought come to life in a, in a, you know, in a computer, you know, video game and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're taking that love and you're throwing it in the trash and kind of spitting on it in a way with, with decisions that they're making and stuff that they're allowing to happen in their company. And so I think with the bigger brother being Microsoft stepping in saying, Hey, we're going to, you know, you have much more people to impress, but we're going to take care of you because we're slapping our name on you now. You're not just going to be some independent company. Um, I think all that kind of lining up is going to make some some really good things happen in, in the future. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I want to go down the list of what all they gained. Um, so in terms of the game IPs, with the Activision Blizzard merger, they now, when I say they, I'm talking about Xbox. Sure. Xbox now has Call of Duty, Warcraft, Candy Crush, yes, Tony Hawk, yeah. Diablo, Tony Hawk game in a while, Overwatch, no, Spyro the Dragon, Hearthstone, Guitar Hero, Crash Bandicoot, which oh, I was really surprised gonna about. It's going to be great, great. And StarCraft. And in terms of the studios they gain, it's Activision Publishing, Blizzard Entertainment, Beanox, Demonware, Digital Legends, High Moon Studios, Infinity Ward, King, Major League Gaming, uh, Radical Entertainment, Raven Software, Sledgehammer Games, Toys for Bob, and Treyarch. So there, there are a lot that they are bringing into the Xbox stable, and it's... It's overwhelming. I mean, you, you look at just that alone and then you think about, oh yeah, they just acquired Bethesda as well. So they have all their properties in addition to all of the other, um, you know, first party studios like 343 or Playground Games or um, you just go down the list. You know who they need to buy, Russ? They need to buy... Oh. Mm-hmm. That was my thought. Mm-hmm. Come to life. They need to buy... One of like the like like Namco, like a Japanese well known. I mean, Namco's legendary. I I I love Namco. Oh yeah, they ought to buy like Namco or Camp Capcom or Konami or something because I think that's where 
they're a bit l- not lacking is the wrong word, but I mean, I, I see they them buying- struggle because they, they can't seem to get a foothold in the Japanese market. Right. That's where Sony's stronghold is, is that right. Sony has been very successful in Japan. And I agree. I think that would be worth looking into because I mean, you have Konami, you have Capcom and you have, uh, you know, several others as well. And I just don't know if they would be willing to sell or not. But I mean, again, when you're Microsoft and you have deep pockets, I don't know. I mean, you could go over there and be like, name your price. I'm just going to be biased, but uh, I just want more like Namco fighting games. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I love, love me some Namco fighting games. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, they make the, I, uh, just, anyway, Let's go back, though, to Crash Bandicoot, because I feel like this is something that is also worth chatting about. When you think of Crash Bandicoot, in its early years, really, Sony was using it essentially as its own mascot. I know. So, like, back kind of more of the heyday of Sonic the Hedgehog and Super Mario and that sort of thing, Sony's answer to that was Crash Bandicoot, which is interesting because somehow Activision came into owning the rights of the IP of Crash Bandicoot. Right. And I forgot about that. I, I totally thought that was like a studio within the, the Sony stable, but it's not. Yeah. And while it was, so let's see, Crash was made, I think by Naughty Dog. Yeah, yes. I, I, I want to say yes. Um, And I'm not sure. I, I mean, I guess Naughty Dog sold them, but I remember um, at least Activision made this Crash Bandicoot uh, Nitro Mm -hmm. because my wife has been playing it Mm -hmm. and it it flips the Activision sign in front of Activision presents. Yeah. You know, I'm like, "Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what that happened, but uh, apparently it did under my nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's it. So I want, so again, this is, I just, I'm in this, like this, this frame of mind of speculating Steve. So bear with me on this. Continue. I'm wondering what is going to happen with the Crash Bandicoot IP because this is very much a sought, like it must be, it is a sought after IP by Sony. I think Sony wants to own that and they they just, for whatever reason, just couldn't get it before it was too late kind of thing. Hmm. So now it's a part of Xbox and I I could see different scenarios. You know, if, if once again, if I were to theorize or hypothesize, whatever kind of fancy word you want to toss at me, I see different types of possibilities with how this gets handled. Mm. The first one is Xbox just holds on to it and makes an Xbox exclusive, which if you think about kind of like in the, the old school tradition of the nanny, <laughs> nanny, nanny, boo, boo uh, kind of way, Xbox would be in a position to be able to thumb their nose at Sony and be like, look who we got. (laughs) And you know, that would kind of be pouring salt into the wound kind of thing. I don't think that that's necessarily the mindset that Phil Spencer or Xbox has. In fact, I think they have quite the opposite. We've heard Phil Spencer, especially be very vocal about how he's kind of over the idea of console wars and this like bitter rivalry between different systems and how he, he would like to see much more cross play and a much more of a coming together to just enjoy gaming for what it is kind of thing, kind of a kumbaya, uh, albeit within a competitive space environment. I was thinking about how, <laughs> except in Halo, cause that, that ain't working out too mm. much. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Russ, go ahead. Um, I was going to say <laughs> another possibility, and this would be, this would be pretty big is what if Phil Spencer were to, 
give Crash Bandicoot to Sony as like a gesture of goodwill. I think Sony would just be like, thanks. <laughs> Shut the door in their face. You're like, okay, cool. Anyway, on with what we're doing. Well, I mean, I don't know if they would or not because I think about how I... (laughs) I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Here's Crash Bandicoot. We'll take God of War. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that would not happen. Anyway, what I was going to say is that I can't recall a time in the past where you have these really big studios actually do that. You know, everything is a business arrangement, right? Everything, like if they're willing to license something out or sell something, then they're going to make some sort of money off of it or whatever. But I was thinking, whoa, that would be topical if he were to do something like that. And I, especially because Sony um, originally, you know, the company is is from Japan. Like you have a lot of the head honchos that are still very much um, in Japan who make all these calls and stuff. I, it makes me wonder, like, like would they be in this position of, like, just being not necessarily humbled, but, like, just, like, filled with gratitude and just be like, wow, we had no idea that was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks. You know, like, like <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, it just crossed my mind. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, Russ. Mm. I don't think so. I mean, I appreciate the speculation and the, the theory, but... Uh, if I'm a if I'm a betting man, mm. which I'm not, I think you are. I wouldn't put my chips in that basket. <laughs> I'd just eat them. <laughs> I do have a quote from Phil Spencer. Oh boy, he said the fantastic franchises across Activision Blizzard will also accelerate our plans for cloud gaming, allowing mm. more people in more places around the world to participate in the Xbox community using phones, tablets, laptops and other devices you already own. I wanted to read that quote because I feel like there's some cryptic long-term future moves that they're planning on making with specifically their Xbox Game Pass. I have a feeling, and honestly, to make sure I give credit where credit is due, I was talking to our good old friend Brad about this, and he actually instilled this idea uh, to me first. And I have also seen it subsequently being echoed like on Reddit and um, some other commenting areas like an IGN and stuff. But they are talking about um, how the long game for Game Pass is to actually basically fill it up with so much exclusive must-have content, but not keep it just for the Xbox console. Does that make sense? Like imagine if like down the road, like 10 years from now, um, they are able to make Xbox game pass an entity unto itself that can actually live on all of the different platforms. So if you're on a Nintendo console or if you're on a Sony console or an Xbox console, you have the, the ability to download Xbox game pass, like say as like an app, for instance, have a subscription fee. It costs the exact same amount And then Microsoft is actually making money off these different platforms based off of all of these exclusive IPs that people want to play. So it's no longer about, you know, oh, you must have this console in order to play these games that you want to play. Now it's like, 
No, we're making such a focus and emphasis on the content itself that we're, we're going to be moving away from the hardware side and instead move more toward a focus of, of having something like a Netflix almost, right? Or like a Disney Plus. But it's it, instead of it being just a one place like that, they make it available so that no matter what you have, and again, it's I think it's also important to note too, I'm not just talking about video game consoles with their aggressive stance on like cloud gaming and stuff, they could easily like, like with smart TVs in the future, for instance, you know, they're not going to need like, like this big console sitting in the, the family room or whatever. Like they could have all kinds of partnerships with different types of companies that make TVs or tablets or whatever else. And as long as it's almost like the Google stadia model mm -hmm. in a way, that's what's concerning me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> what, what makes you concerned about that? Well, because partly like, okay, so I, for, I'm talking about my own experience here, but I enjoy sitting at home and having the controller in my hand and filling around with it. I don't want to like play with the Witcher on my phone. Like, oh, it's so cool in something this size. You know, I just, to me, that does not, I mean, some people might just want to play on their tablet. They might want to have the option to play on their phone. They might want to have the option just to kind of like just load it on the TV. For example, my TV, like the internet software, it's unreliable. Yeah. And so I don't want to, I don't want to put all my chips there because like, okay, no problem. My TV is smart. It goes on the internet. It can do YouTube. It can do Hulu. It can do Disney plus whatever. And then like, the, the signal drops or for something, something needs to be reset. And I'm like, I just want to play my game yeah. versus like my Xbox, which is totally reliable. I click on an app, the app opens, the internet never drops. It's plug you know, and play. It's just plug and play. It's simple. Um, and so to me, like that makes the most sense because it, it, ju it just works. Mm. And I, I would rather have the option of, yeah, this is not going anywhere. The system is not going anywhere. We're going to have this option over here if you guys want to do that just so it's available to more people. Cool. Got it. Don't give up the hardware. That's <laughs> what I'm like begging. Um, one thing that, that comes to mind is when I think when they were releasing, had to be, to be the, the one X, uh, they said something about, um, trying to do away with, with, um, like physical copies of the game. Mm. So you're just going to be able to download or just have it on the cloud. And mm. everyone like got up an arm saying, how hey, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to give up like the hard disc. I want to still be able to buy the game and play it you know, like on my system whenever I want to. Right. And then they kind of recanted a bit and went, oh, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and do that then. Remember that? Like some, a lot of folks are saying, well, what if I just, if I buy the game and I pay 60 bucks for it, I own the game. And they were trying to like register, like get away with that because they said, we don't want people like letting other folks borrow it. And so they can play yeah, it without spending that. like 60 bucks. But the motivation behind that was, was gearing more towards just the cloud gaming. And so you had to like download the game onto your hard drive somewhere and you couldn't let anybody else play it. Mm -hmm. And so like you had to download a version of the game. I had to download a version of the game. I couldn't give you what I had purchased to let you try it out and play it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that they were experimenting with those things and it didn't go over too well because you're right. Like there are different folks um, who are part of one camp or the others. There, there's one camp where they want to be able to have their physical copy. And there's another camp that is perfectly happy with the digital download. 
I did read about how Phil Spencer was also talking about this notion of subscriptions and how he really feels like that's, that's the inevitable thing is that the physical copies at some point, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, physical copies will be phased out and they will fully embrace some sort of subscription model. And I do think that their cloud gaming is the result of that. And I think that the, what they want to do is they want to be able to have the flexibility to be able to give to the gamers. So like, you know, for instance, if you, you know, want to play a game and you pause it on your PC and then you go over to your TV and you start resuming where you left off, you can do so. And then if you want to, res- you know, continue playing on your phone, even if you don't want to, the option is always there to like basically like have a kind of a next generation Xbox live where like, but instead of it being only on your Xbox console, like it lives um, within all of these different platforms, which to me, that's actually really cool. It's nice to be able to have that level of flexibility. And I think that the idea of like, for instance, Google Stadia was a good idea in terms of like how they wanted to approach making games readily available that they could also update on their servers on their side and then just pipe it out automatically to everybody else. And we're seeing that to a, a certain extent with like the Xbox Series X and with the PS5 and stuff. Even with the Xbox One X and the PS4, they were doing that to a certain extent too, where like, you know, they would push out these updates or patches or whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead of it having to be dependent upon like our hard drive, for instance, right? Like, oh man, I've run out of hard drive space. Right. You don't have that problem anymore with cloud gaming. I remember watching a video. I, this was somebody on Stadia, but he was playing some game and he's like, this is the problem with cloud gaming is that, is that there's still a bit of a delay between you tapping a button for a command and the person in the game reacting to it. And right. so he would go, he, he was probably, I don't know what he was playing. Like probably maybe it was call of duty. Who knows? It was probably a first person shooter. Yeah. And so he would hit like the space. He was on PC or he, a fighting game. He would hit the space bar <laughs> to jump. And then so he he, would, he has the camera there and he goes watch and goes click. And then like a second and a half later, his person jumps. He's like, this is why it's not going to work, at least like right now. In this yeah. day and age, just cloud gaming is not going to work. I do have some stuff I wanted to cover with regards to Sony because obviously one of the, the big responses that I think the community has is, so what does Sony have to say about this? Right. Because Sony has also been um, in this mindset of acquiring companies, you know, insomniac games comes to mind, right? That was a, a great acquisition by Sony. Sony was saying that it expects Microsoft to honor the contracts, the pre-existing contracts it has with Activision and um, continue to ensure that Activision games are released on its platforms. So that was the first part, which I think they're talking about a lot of like the, the the games that have been out, that have been released where they've already made deals with Activision before they got acquired. Sure. Honestly, I think Xbox will totally honor that. They're going to be like, yeah, it's no problem. Their, their minds are going to be focused on new IPs, sequels, new games, stuff like that. All the pre-existing stuff. Yeah. Like they will, they're good about that. I feel like. Sony's stock lost. I don't know if you saw this. I did. Uh, they lost about $20 billion after the announcement of the merger, which mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of crazy too. We're like Microsoft ends up spending almost 70 billion and eh, Sony lost 20 billion. You know, it's, it's, it's a smaller amount, but still you're like, Ooh, and it's no small feat. Like when you think of the sheer number of studios that, that are now part of, of Xbox, 
it truly is impressive. You look at it, you're like, my goodness. And especially from a PC perspective with like, you know, RPGs, first person shooters, those two in particular, you know, even, even with like kind of like the, um, the real time strategy kind of, uh, of genre as well. Those have always been fan favorites of PC gamers. And I know that they're getting into more of like this space now, especially that um, controllers can now be, you know, they're, they've been able to use controllers on PCs for a while now. But um, the idea of the action adventure game, like God of War just got released on PC and people have been really enjoying playing the game on the PC because you're just going to have much, you're, you have sure. that basically the optimal experience when you're playing on like a, a really awesome rig. <laughs> One other thing from Sony, um, this is a quote. They said, we expect that Microsoft will abide by contractual agreements and continue to ensure Activision games are multi-platform. And that was um, quoted in the Wall Street Journal. So you can tell that they have um, very much a vested desire and interest to make sure that like the the, the games, like, like for instance, I think there's a certain call of duty game that um, they're pretty adamant about wanting to make sure like it, it continues to be available. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the full title is, but those are the types of games that I think that, that Xbox will ultimately, you know, they'll honor it. They'll be like, yeah, that's sure. Fine. Yeah. Oh man. So much more, Steve. So much more. Um, Activision Blizzard has confirmed that it won't, remove existing games from PlayStation after it has been acquired by Xbox. So that's further cementing that notion. Um, the, the direct quote from Activision Blizzard, we will honor all existing commitments uh, post-close. As with Microsoft's acquisition of Minecraft, we have no intent to remove any content from platforms where it exists today. So that is good news if you only have a Sony um, console and, uh, and also if, if you are a fan of Sony, you know, the, it's not like all of a sudden all of these games you've been enjoying are just going to go poof hmm. and only be available on Xbox. So I wrote down some other questions though, that I thought I would pose to you, Steve. Okay. Do you think that this accelerates Sony's plan for their own version of a game pass? Um, I would say it's going to be front and center on their minds. If it wasn't before, which it probably, I'm sure it is, they've been trying to do stuff with like PlayStation Plus and whatnot. Um, but it hasn't really reached the level of Game Pass. Like Game Pass has always been, I guess, Microsoft's ace in the hole sort of thing. Um, but now I'm thinking like, yeah, I mean, with this, they're, they're, board is going to say, what are we doing here? Like, you know, we're losing tons of money. We didn't do anything wrong. You know, we just, <laughs> it's just consumer confidence <laughs> that, you know, people sold or selling our stock. Um, and so the, I'm sure they're going to either revamp their, their PlayStation plus uh, I'm, they'll probably bring out something even better. I imagine. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I have a feeling that they too are working on their own version of a game pass. I think that they have seen the success that Xbox has had with their game pass but not only that, I think in terms of what I was talking about earlier, if Microsoft decides that they want to suddenly make Game Pass available cross-platform, I think Sony is going to want to also do the same 
because they don't want to leave dollars on the table. Like, can you imagine like, let's say for instance, Sony has the Sony game pass, right? And that means that I can play God of war on my Xbox. So yeah. long as I'm subscribed to the Sony game pass. Yes, please. But then again, you know, again, it, it's, it's hard to kind of crystallize this stuff in my mind because you know, it, it's difficult to know, will there be certain systems in the future or will there not be, you know? And, and if so, if I already have the latest Sony console, then why would I feel motivated to like, you know, use the, the, the Sony game pass, but that's just, you know, that that's in the, the version of a person who's able to have both consoles. You know, there are plenty of people out there who only buy one because they just can't afford it. Me. Like him. Um, Cause he, he's cheap. <laughs> he's a, Here's, here's what Sony could do to be competitive. They could. Your eyeball color looks like the Sony color brand. Does it? Huh? White and something well, else. You got that, you got a little <laughs> bit of that, that baby blue going on in there. Yeah. Well, I thought those were like my, my red veins <laughs> in my eyes. Um, so they could say, hey, you know, all our vendors, all of our, you know, third-party studios, since we are Sony and we have, a well, before Microsoft acquired them, but they have a huge market share, Sony does. They could say, hey, we're going to develop our own Game Pass mm -hmm. and we are going to make it so that the games, when they're licensed on Sony Game Pass, whatever they want to call it, it's for a longer period of time or you get like exclusives or something. Yeah. Because I've noticed with game pass that I'll download a game. Like this has happened recently when I got my series X, I'm transferring everything over, you know, from the, my one hard drive to another is that like I downloaded Ace Combat. We were talking about Namco oh, yeah. earlier. So I downloaded Ace Combat. I still haven't wanted to play it yeah. on the series X. Wanted to see how it was. And so then I loaded up, I'm like, okay, I got nothing to do tonight. It's the weekend. Let's play some Ace Combat. And so I go, I hit the button. It says, oh, did you, do you own this game? Because uh, we're not finding it anymore. I'm like, what? And I haven't even had the game that long. Or the other day, I wanted to, I wanted to pop in Forza 3. Mm -hmm. Forza 3 ain't available. Forza 4 is. Not Forza 3, you know. Really? Forza Horizon 3, not available on Game Pass. So, like, Game Pass does have its restrictions on how long it can, it'll have these games for. Right. Which would make sense of, like, why they're trying to acquire all these studios, because then they can put, like, more top games in Game Pass and have them there all the time. But is that Netflix model of like, you know, they, they exactly. rotate certain games in and certain games out. And maybe those games that are now out will eventually come back in again. Yeah, exactly. So uh, even though I'm paying for Game Pass and I want to play games that I've got on Game Pass before, now I can't. And it's not, and it's the choice is not mine to, to do. It's all right. Microsoft. So if Sony comes in and they say, hey, we're, we're going to offer all these games for less or not really less, but I mean, for a longer period of time then, I mean, that would make it a bit more attractive. I do think, and I don't want to go down too far in this rabbit hole, but I, I do feel hesitant about the whole subscription thing, mm -hmm. just because I don't truly own those games. I mean, even with Xbox Game Pass being a swell deal, which mm -hmm. it, it totally is, yeah, like, like there is some, somewhat of an apprehensive state that I find myself in where... I don't like not being in control of the games that I want to play. You know, like if, if there are these gatekeepers that all of a sudden say, well, we're going to phase out this game and maybe it'll come back. 
who knows when or whatever. It's like, well, wait a minute. Like I'd like to be in control of when or if that actually happens. And I think honestly, like, like that's why right now it's important to be able like, if, if there are certain games that you absolutely love and you want to continue playing at your leisure, that, that you buy a physical copy of that game. So that way you will always have it ready and available to go because you know, like, like it's no surprise how like a lot of these older titles, um, end up getting shut down. Like, like, you know, like let's take Halo for example, right? Like, uh, I watched a video recently where someone had recorded the last time they were showing Halo three on the servers because that, that day they were going to shut down the servers. And it was the coolest thing because everybody who was in a multiplayer round, um, when like the final minutes were counting down, they weren't even fighting each other. Like they all came over and they all were like jumping up and down and like squatting. It was like, you know, red versus blue. Sure. And uh, they were shooting their assault rifles in the air, like in That's celebration awesome. and That's stuff. Cool. And then eventually like, you know, Microsoft shut down those servers. And so now you can no longer play Halo three uh, multiplayer. But if you have the physical copy of the game, you can totally still play the campaign. You can play, right. you know, um, local co-op if you want that sort of thing. So that is, it's nice to have that. Will Xbox make future titles exclusive or will they allow certain titles to be multi-platform? Do you think? Excuse me. I think they will make titles multi-platform as long as they're getting a good cut. Where there's money to be made, they'll they're gonna make it. Because that's basically what it comes down to. And why would they say, like if 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 you are playing Overwatch on on PlayStation and I like my Xbox, because I don't have a PlayStation, so I just you know, play my Xbox. Um, but we want to play together. Yes. And now Xbox, now Microsoft owns Overwatch. <clears throat> that means I just pop your like <laughs> your your <laughs> joygasm because you can <laughs> oh. you know you can no even though you're looking forward to like Overwatch too. Well, you know, sorry, you're gonna have to wait or you have to you know go get another system. Or feels like the other way around for me to like you, it'd be the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they want to pop those dreams of of gamers because that's almost gonna put resentment in them and folks' mind. Like, oh, now I gotta go get another system. Like, I don't have the kind of money right now that's laying around I can go get another system. And so, Microsoft can say, well, hey, Sony, we own this now, so we can we can still send you the game to sell to your folks and, and your, your, your game base. And of course, you'll make money on that, but any money that, you know, people are gonna be spending in the game, that's gonna funnel through Microsoft, we have to get some deal out of this because we're letting <clears throat> you use our property. Right. I think that would be definitely possible. It does make me curious about which titles would they make multi-platform? Because I have a feeling like you're going to have kind of a smorgasbord of both scenarios where like you'll have... Candy Crush. Candy Crush. <laughs> you'll have certain games that I'm sure they like, like just exactly what, what you described where like they will make it available on like Sony's platform. But, um, at the same time, it's not Sony who's getting all the proceeds from that. It's, it's getting funneled back to Microsoft. So it, it's a kind of a, a funky situation for Sony in that regard. However, I could totally see how like, for instance, overwatch two, I could, I would not be surprised in the slightest if they, um, decided that they wanted to make that an exclusive for the Xbox platform as well as PC, because that's like their, their big thing right now is that any kind of Xbox title is also available uh, for PC. So like they wouldn't be 
shutting out the, the PC crowd or at least releasing it first. Like if they release it on oh, Xbox sure. first and say, hey, well, you know, it, it'll come on PlayStation eventually. So then everyone on PlayStation is going to go, oh, come on, man. You know, I want to yeah. play it. And you're like, okay, well, I mean, that's just what, I mean, we paid 68 billion bucks, you know. <laughs> so you have 68 billion bucks? Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> Well, they probably do. They're just sitting on it. Uh, yeah, letting it collect interest. I wish I had 68.7 billion mm. bucks. If I did, I'd call them bucks. That's what I do. I wouldn't call them dollars. If I Everybody had... always says dollars. They always go 68.7 billion dollars. I'd be mm. like, no. Billion bucks right over here. If I had that, Russ, I'd buy my own plane. Put it in a Microsoft simulator, too. I would fly my own plane virtually. Mm. Now, nah, probably wouldn't do that. What does this news mean for other publishers, Steve? You know, I started thinking about Take-Two Interactive, mm. Ubisoft, and EA Games. Yeah, I was thinking about Ubisoft also. Because, and again, it speaks to this trend that we've been seeing lately, not only with the gaming industry, but also the, the film industry as well, where you have these behemoth companies acquiring other companies that are actually quite large too. Like, that's what I think is so crazy about this, is, is that you have um, Xbox that, that just acquired Activision and Blizzard. That is, those companies are so big. I want to say that like Activision, well, really the Activision Blizzard thing, I think they were like maybe the second largest publisher in the world. And so what's interesting is that you look at the other ones that are left and really it's the, it's those three, it's EA games, Ubisoft and take two interactive. And it just makes me wonder has Phil Spencer's appetite been sated or is he out for more? Maybe that was just, uh, you know, the main course. Maybe now he wants dessert. Yeesh. Maybe he wants dinner after his supper. Well, you know, if, if Bethesda was the appetizer and Activision Blizzard was the main course, I think he probably wants some dessert, Steve. Mm. And then maybe a night cocktail, Russ. Mm, a little uh, <laughs> nightcap. <laughs> nightcap. Indeed. But I mean, it, I think it's a good question, right? It's like, you know that, that the other publishers are probably having conversations about yeah. that too, thinking like, man, are they going to like come for us next? Or like, <laughs> let's say it's not Xbox. Right. Maybe Sony all of a sudden is like feeling threatened enough that they're like, hey, you know, we'd like to talk about Rockstar. You know, we're buying you. That's the thing. Like, you know, take two interactive. <laughs> you bring, okay. So you bring up um, a really good example of this where, GTA <laughs> is one of the biggest, Oof. most successful 500-pound gorilla games ever. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it's so big. Like, it's 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 even bigger than Red Dead Redemption, which is also a part of the same studio. But when you think of GTA, like, the world almost kind of stops for a while every time there's a brand-new GTA game that drops. I mean, Everybody plays it. It makes billions upon billions of dollars. And it would be, once again, like a a tremendous victory jewel or gem to place into the cap of whichever company wanted to do something like that. Now, what's interesting, too, is that so that's that's within the take Two interactive umbrella. You also have NBA 2K series over there. You know, like if you like again. If, if we're just being like excited little fanboys or whatever, and when we're talking and focusing on Xbox, I mean, Xbox doesn't really have any exclusive sports titles. 
So anyway, there's that. There's also um, just just a tremendous other you know, amount of different types of games that is under like 2K games uh, as well as Take-Two Interactive as a whole. But I feel like it's like, my goodness, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Would you agree? Oh, I definitely agree. I mean, I think everything's on the table at this point. I mean, I think folks will say, oh, those folks are, too, uh, you know, this studio is too big to purchase. Like, it's going to cost a lot of money. Well, my goodness. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of money sitting around somewhere that it can be spent on these studios. And it really speaks to just how much money these companies have. I mean, like, Xbox, I get it. Like, that is a division of Microsoft. But it seems, at least in the past, and, and when I say past, I mean, like, like, the recent past, it always seems like that's kind of a smaller department or a smaller entity that exists within Microsoft overall. Like, like the, it's almost like a pet project, if you will, versus, like, the other stuff that they're more, I don't know, focused on or have more bandwidth on or whatever else. So for them to actually like spend this kind of money within the video game sector, it really, I mean, it makes me wonder like how much money do they have in the bank? Right. Well, I think it also goes to show how important uh, the gaming community is and how popular it's become because if, if these game studios are costing more than movie studios or like, you know, like, Fox, 21st Century Fox for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was a doozy too. We're like, what? <laughs> and that was after they had already acquired ABC. Right. He's like, oh, we'll just take another one. Man. So it also puts a lot of emphasis on, on the importance that we will pay for our entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it is so fascinating to look at these mergers because there is a lot of positivity to be looked at and, and gained and just experienced overall. There's also like some of, of, you know, there might be like little concerns here and there that like, for instance, with the, the aggressive amount of, of, of acquiring and merging that's been going on, it does make one wonder like, you know, where, like which, which studios will be left over that can continue to make their own types of games that they want. Or like, what about new studios that can be perhaps started up and make uh, good stuff? Because it's, it's really like you're starting to see these very defined camps of where these, these different places exist. I mean, even if you think of EA, for instance, EA games, for several years has made a number of various acquisitions. I mean, if you think about Criterion and you think about Bioware, um, there, there have been um, a number, uh, and I can't think of, of all of them off the top of my head, but I mean, they, they have made uh, a number of acquisitions over the years, but not on the scale like this. <laughs> so oh, I know it's very, very interesting indeed. Um, I also wanted to be able to talk about um, the fact that like the deal is not done yet. Like they have to go through that obligatory uh, valuation or whatever, like go through the, the regulatory channels. I don't, I don't know what the terminology is. Your exactly. people meet with my people and figure it out. Well, they just have to make sure that they're not going to be classified as a monopoly and broken up and that sort of thing. So according to what I was looking at, it looks like, uh, CEO Bobby Kotick from Activision shared that he expects the deal to close 
sometime in Microsoft's fiscal 2023 year ending June 20th, 2023. I was reading also that um, Bobby is going to like retain all his position and power and stuff, even with the deal going through, even though he was like kind of a big player in sweeping all this legal problems underneath the rug. Oh yeah. Like all the, the alleged uh, sexual harassment and and all the toxicity and that sort of thing. Mm. So my understanding is he's going to continue to stay where he is as all of this stuff goes on and the deal closes. Once the deal is done though, I think he's out. I read that even afterwards he was still staying. Well, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see what goes on with that because I, um, I read the, uh, I think I read a quote from Phil Spencer actually, who was talking. I mean, he basically said we're going to keep him on while all this stuff is is uh, closing, and then afterwards he's going to go on his merry way. He's basically, I think they went so far as to say he's probably going to leave with like three hundred million dollars. I would trails. love to have three hundred million dollars. Oh boy. I would love to have $1 million. Hmm. Hmm. I need to have a talk with my guidance counselor. Uh, Oh, another interesting little tidbit. There are apparently roughly 10,000 employees at Activision Blizzard within 36 countries. So Microsoft just got a huge workforce. It's almost like, like, you know, you go to the hospital because you're giving birth. And you're like, oh, congratulations. You have 10,000 children now. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I've never been a parent. <laughs> I didn't know I was this virile. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, I have one last note, which again, speculation. I've uh, mentioned this briefly already, but I just thought it'd be worth talking about how I wonder if this is why Overwatch 2 has been delayed. Oh, you know it has. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're on the same page yeah. as me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I totally was looking at this and I was thinking, you know what? It's 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 been kind of bizarre in terms of like how the support for the pre-existing Overwatch game has been kind of like ramped down like a lot, which is weird because that was like part of the like, like big part of like their whole approach to the game. And then all of a sudden um, they're working on overwatch too, but like they're not bringing it out. And I was thinking, okay, well, you know, typically blizzard takes a long time to release any of their games. They want to make sure they get it just right. And that's partly why their games are so awesome. So I was kind of like, okay, I'll just roll with that for a while. And, um, but after this, I have a feeling that, and again, speculation, but I'm, it does make me wonder if someone like Bobby ended up kind of, you know, manipulating the stuff behind the scenes in order to give Xbox that exclusive, because that's, I mean, when that comes out right now, like there are, um, a lot of Overwatch fans that are pretty frustrated, not because they're no longer interested in the game, but just because they haven't been getting new content for the pre-existing Overwatch and Overwatch 2 is like taking forever to come out. So I would say that's definite, Russ. Um, I mean, Microsoft's lawyers just didn't get up and Phil Spencer just didn't come and go, I want to buy something today. I'm going to blitz. I'm in the mood to buy something today. I'm in the mood to buy something large. <laughs> um, 
And I mean, so this is, I mean, who knows how long these talks have been going on. I mean, maybe these talks went all the way back to when they first introduced Overwatch 2 to, you know, the the gaming community at one of those game shows. At least internally within maybe the Xbox camp alone, like they started kind of like, okay, which... Which of these companies should we keep an eye or two on? But I think that's part of the of the deal too, where they say, "Look, we're gonna make this pretty sweet for you, but why don't you go ahead and sign these? Uh, I'm not gonna say anything clause, <laughs> you know, just so Sony won't catch any wind because they're gonna go, okay, wow. I mean, we can really we could all walk away pretty handsome, you know, at least our pocketbooks. But mum's the word, and uh, so no one said anything until all the details were. Official, not well, not not the deal's done, but I mean it's official enough that they can announce it to the world, and everyone's gonna go, "Wow, hey, thumbs up!" Yeah. You know I mean, they gotta work out the the finalities of it, but still, oh man, to be a fly on one of those walls, mm, I'd just be a gecko. I don't want to be a fly. Yeah, gecko's better because geckos eat flies, and they're cuter. They are. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention it financially helps us doing said show. Also, make sure you click that subscribe button as well as that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm. It drops once a week, every week. And while you're at it, You can also do a search on your favorite social media platform of choice. We're on just about all of them for at Joygasm TV. We have all kinds of fun little, you know, community content that you don't want to miss. Last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We appreciate you all hanging out with us, and we will see you next week.